What's up, bikers? Welcome to the Biker Bar podcast live stream episode 137. Today, we're talking to Outbound Lighting. If you're not familiar with them, they make mountain bike lights and now they make road bike lights and gravel lights too. So I guess you could use them for whatever you want, spelunking or whatever. As long as you got a helmet and a GoPro mount or uh, somewhere you can stick it to, I guess, then uh, you're good to go. Nonetheless, let's go ahead and get started with the weekly me telling you guys to follow all the social media stuff. How many times have, do I have to say this? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Honestly, if you haven't stopped by the social media yet, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, go ahead and do that. It's um just me posting pictures, talking about what's going on, but it's a little fun extra content. And it's actually a way that I can like interact with you guys. So I know on the podcast, I'm obviously, if you're listening, you're definitely not interacting. Well, you could be like punching your steering wheel or something. But on the other hand, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm not super into like, you know, being super chatty with the comments and stuff. I want to make sure that the conversations go the best. But when I'm posting stuff on Instagram and Facebook, there's, there's all kinds of places that we can chat there. So go by and uh, hit the follow button. I like seeing those numbers grow. And, you know, it's crazy that, like, somebody else could be doing, like, a toy review channel and have 100,000 followers. I'm giving you guys some free podcasts. Got, like, 4,000 people on Instagram. So swing by there. Do that for me. Those of you guys that are on Patreon, I want to send out a special thanks to you right now. I really appreciate it. Every month I... Um, get some new people. Sometimes people go, everybody has their own reasons, but one way or another, the people that are on there really help make this show happen. And, um, I'm super stoked about that. So thanks for that, for everybody that's out there doing that. It's pretty easy. You can do as little as a buck a month, or you can do five bucks a month get a sticker pack and, um, some cool handwritten letters and, uh, extra content too, from the biker channel. So I've been doing a lot more videos lately. So all those long cut videos will be on there and, um, they're fun to watch. I, I tend to not, um, not edit out as much of the F bombs and the, uh, in the, the, the things that may be less than appropriate for YouTube. So they're, they're kind of fun on there. So if you want to go out and head and check that out five bucks a month or, um, do whatever you want to do. You can do it for free. This right here, hit subscribe or the thumbs up. That That's totally free. And those of you guys on the podcast, if you can swing by and give me a review over there on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, that'd be rad because it helps the algorithm tell everybody that this is one of the best mountain bike podcasts out there. Just because of you guys and your reviews, the other day I searched on Google the podcast and there's a website said top 15 mountain bike podcasts and biker bar was number nine. So keep doing those five-star reviews and uh, we'll see where we, how can we get to the top five, maybe by 2023. That'd be rad. I'd be super stoked. Anyways, let's go ahead and bring Tom back on. What's going on, Tom? How's it going? Oh man. Living the dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> So um, those of you guys, there, there's probably a handful of people that don't know what outbound lighting is and more than me just saying, you know, it, it's a mountain bike. Like I, I, I probably, you're probably better off going ahead and, and giving a little explanation what you guys do. <laughs> I've done it a time or two before. Um, right. Yeah. So we're, we're a small uh, bike light company. We recently uh, just increased our staff by 33% to four people. Um, mm -hmm. So 
that's cool. Uh, we brought uh, Lauren on, and she's been helping out a ton with um, uh, packaging, shipping, some financial projections with uh, um, all kinds of stuff around HQ. Um, so we are uh, doing all of our uh, all of our design is done by me and uh, Matt, the founder. Um, we kind of split mechanical electrical duties. Um, he has all the optical design in house, and that's really our big shtick is uh, we're designing the optics for every product specifically for the type of writing you're doing and where it's going to be mounted. And that's all done unique in-house. So it's not just off the shelf stuff that's made for flashlights. Um, and I think that's where our biggest value add is. Um, but we, we do the design, we do the um, uh, full assembly in-house and we're doing a lot of investment in automation right now so that we can keep our, um, quality control extremely high, repeatability very high, and uh, efficiency so that we can scale without having to add a lot of staff, um, which is good because it keeps costs a bit lower despite the enormous cost of investment to get it moving. Um, but it also lets us be a little bit more flexible and not have to have, you know, seasonal staff because we're very seasonal. You know, lots of people don't think about night riding in April. They're thinking about going to the beach and getting out in the sun and and putting their lights away for a few months. So, um, you know, now is the busy time where all hands are on deck and uh, we uh, try to set up our business so that we can handle that and not have, and still be able to support all of our employees really well and have benefits and all that. So um, yeah, we're four and a half years old, I think, mm -hmm. give or take. Um, just phased out our first product line um, a couple months ago. So. Um, getting into the the next generation of things, and um, I don't know. I think we're doing all right. You know, we're we're growing. We, customers are happy. The ones that aren't, we make them happy. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Right on, man. Um, are you guys international? I mean, yes, um, but that's <laughs> actually been one of the bigger struggles. Is we we'll sell lights and ship them around the world, but every country other than the US, you have to pay to import products, right? So uh -huh. shipping overseas, import duties. And then if you deal with stuff like the UK with uh, you know Brexit and like this massive VAT on top of everything, it gets pretty expensive. So it's hard for us to be really cost competitive. And then also, uh -huh. you know, we, we pride ourselves on our support for the customers. Yeah, and it's really difficult to, you know, help somebody out in a pinch last second in Australia. Um, right, right. So we're trying to get our, you know, get some key distributors and shops, local bike shops in various places so that, you know, if somebody in the UK has a problem, they can go get something shipped domestically in a day or two instead of waiting more than a week for us to ship something. Um, yeah, what I was really thinking about was like the Southern Hemisphere because, like, you were talking about, um, you know, people don't want a night ride in the summer, but on the other yep. side of the planet, like it's, it's winter for them. So, yeah. And you know, we've got, um, I think, I think we have at least one customer in South Africa. Um, and we've got a bunch in Australia, but yeah. uh, a bunch relative to the, you know, the rest of the non U S countries. Um, and, and it's, it's the thing like Australia is huge, but the population actually is not that big. So yeah, um, yeah. night riding like, as a market, you know, it's, we're not big enough to have the cash to go invest in setting up shop there and really doing it 
the way we want to. Um, right. So we got a little bit more before we can take on that opportunity. So yeah, yeah. What I don't want to do is get out there and kind of like outkick our coverage and then fall on our face, and that's going to be worse for the brand than if we wait and we do it right. Um, plus, our buddies over at the Glowworm, you know, they're a New Zealand-based company. Um, mm -hmm. they, you know, they're right across the pond there, so um, they they do really well with their support, and um, they're at least a good option for for that hemisphere until we can yeah. get out there. Yeah, in my head, I was just thinking, I mean, if you targeted, like, probably South Africa and Australia and New Zealand or something like that, I mean, I, I don't know how much riding is in, is there a lot of people riding in, in like, South America? When I look yeah. at my demographics, I don't see a whole lot of people watching down there, so. It's, it's. I, I don't have any statistics on that, but I could say there's definitely pockets of really passionate bikers there with ridiculously yeah. awesome terrain. Um, yeah. We've got a few customers down in like uh, Bolivia um, and in Chile, but mm -hmm. for the most part, and actually one guy who works for uh, Santa Cruz is based out of Brazil. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's, there's people down there, but as far as like the community goes, I, I don't know. I need to visit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, when you, you think about some of these other places, like for some of them, it's just really hard even to get like bikes and stuff. Like when I was in Jamaica, I rode down there and as I was putting my bike together, I snapped the freaking stem bolt oh. and I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me right now. And, and uh, essentially there's no bike shops on that whole island. Like the, the, if they want to get tires, they order them online from some place God knows where, and then they wait like three months for them to show up. You know, so it was kind of one of those situations where it was it was like, well, I'm either riding this bike with three bolts in the stem, or I'm not riding. So what's the choice? You know, I'm gonna take a wild guess at what you did. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my, uh, my friends, uh, Aaron and Belen are down in California and they, um, started project bike love. Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a charity that's uh, intention to get, um, in, women in impoverished areas on bikes where it can actually have a, like a huge impact on their life and their livelihood mm -hmm. where they can get to school or a job further away. They can carry more produce to market. They can spend more time with their family. Uh, it, it has a big enough difference that, they don't have any incentive to sell the bike because the impact is bigger than the cost they right, get right. selling it, right? Um, and so I went, I went with them on a whim for for a week down to Paraguay, and my my whole job was to be the mechanic and basically teach the the beneficiaries how to maintain their bikes because they don't have bike shops. Like they're out in in places where everything's very remote. They can't order things from Amazon. They, yeah. If they have a problem with their bike, they got to fix it and. So we spent a lot of time, you know, we left them with a bunch of tubes and tire levers and pumps and basically trained at least one person in each group. Like, all right, here's how you adjust your derailleur. Here's how you adjust the brakes. Here's how you change the, you know, the rim brakes, the brake pads. And yeah. uh, it's totally different world experience. Now that's not all of South America. That's definitely isolated yeah. pockets. And they've actually been doing that even here in like Navajo Nation too. It's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the world's a big place. Anyways, I don't know why I yeah. got that. No, no, it's really interesting though because it's like it's something that so many of us riders take take for like for granted, you know, that you could just go buy something online or swing down to the shop or 
or like for most of America, a bicycle is not a means of transportation. It's a recreational like toy, you know, and, and you forget that in places like for them to have a bike and be able to go ride down to the market in 20 minutes instead of, you know, two hours of walking, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, that's a huge difference, man. Yeah. Like, it was, it was unbelievable to see it in person too, because they're, they're, they're moved. Like it is, it makes such a big difference on, on their lives and you just can't put that into words until you see yeah. it in person. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Um, so it, Project Bike Love, shameless plug. Yeah. They they do good things and um, and yeah, right on, man. So um, you guys increased your staff. You're getting bigger. So I, I'd have to say that's probably from being on the Biker Bar podcast, right? Obviously, got the Biker Bar bump, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Well, I'm glad to glad to put you guys on the map. <laughs> so you guys been killing it on your own for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're growing quickly. Um, and, you know, right now there's been a lot of, you know, I talked to a lot of industry people, just, you know, friends at different companies, and there's a lot of hesitation right now, just, you know, global recession aside, just the bike industry is kind of coming back to earth from the, the COVID boom, where everybody got out on their bikes and um, bought new stuff, and then there wasn't enough of anything. Now, sales are starting to, to drop a bit across the bike industry for, for new bikes, for parts, for everything. And so everybody's kind of trying to feel out what's going on. And thankfully, since we're, you know, such a small company to begin with, you know, we're still growing pretty steadily. So we're not, we're not feeling the impacts of that as much. Um, whereas if, you know, like specialized, they're probably going to see their revenue drop 30% this year. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's and, you know, that makes a difference on the bottom line for us it's we we can adapt a lot more easily being smaller and just in this kind of high growth phase so mm-hmm. um the more people that you know learn about who we are just so they know our name so that when they do go looking they at least you know check us out um the better are you guys seeing like drop like that or no we're we're still growing we're not we're probably won't double, yeah we probably won't double in size this year um we did last year um but we're still growing pretty healthily um, yeah. across all of our product lines, and then we got our new Road Light launched, which served a it serves a different audience than our previous Road product, which was kind of is bulky, it was bigger, it wasn't really um, you know it wasn't arrow, so a lot mm-hmm. of roadies were not too too enthused with it, and it wasn't. What was, what was the original one called? Um, the Road Edition. The road edition. So was that uh, like basically like the the hangover, or was it like the the bigger like one that you put on the handlebars? What was that called? I still have one here. Um, I don't yeah, know so this is our our original light was a separate uh, battery pack light. Um, so simple rubber strap and then a cord to plug it in. Um, mm-hmm. and so this stuck on top of your arrow bars. It worked, and it actually has a you know, a, a cutoff beam, a car headlight, easy mm-hmm. approved, all that, but it doesn't, it doesn't meld with the bike as well. And you had to have a yeah. big battery pack separate with it. Um, and it just didn't really connect with the customers as well. So now we've got the detour, which is all self-contained and right. smaller and sleeker and just looks more like a, I don't know, race yeah. product on a road bike. 
Um, yeah, if, if anybody's like the the original light that he held up for those of you guys listening was like a little bit smaller than a Rubik's cube, kind of pretty square. And the uh, new one is listening. I forgot about. Oh, that. it's all right. Nah, that's what I'm. <laughs> that's what my job is, man. And the new one is definitely it's shaped more like a man. The best thing I can think of right now is like a sideways pack of cigarettes, like that rectangle kind of. <laughs> but it's like that right about size, right. right in that size though, and it definitely has. If you're familiar with their hangover light for mountain bikes, it's more of that that kind of sleek shape that way, and has good um, aerodynamics to it. So the one thing that you said that um i would say is different than the hangover light is that you said it has that cutoff beam can you explain what that is sure um and i'll show it to the people who are not just listening but um <laughs> basically the simplest way to think of it is uh your car headlights you got low beams and high beams right um mm -hmm. low beams have a cutoff in the beam so that above a certain point no light goes up the idea being that you're putting all the light on the road so that you can see where you're going really clearly, but oncoming traffic isn't being blinded by it because nobody likes having high beams flashed in their face. Um, mm -hmm. So putting that into a road bike light makes a ton of sense because road bikes, you're not constantly pitching up and down over obstacles and things. You're staying pretty, pretty level, even if the, mm -hmm. the road is slowly smooth, uh, swooping up and down. So Cutoff beam does two things. It prevents uh, pissing off everybody in 4,000 pound steel vehicles trying to kill you. Uh, yeah. And it uh, puts all the light on the road where you can actually use it. So having light up in the air, having a you know a round beam, for example, is just projecting light down and up can be good if you're kind of out in the woods and you want to see, you know, snipers up in the trees or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but on the road, most of that light is just being wasted up in the sky. You want to light up the road so you can see that pothole, not the top of the street lamp, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so we can be more efficient. That basically means we can use less power to put all the light down on the road where it actually has value instead of throwing away half of it in the sky. And that means we can get better runtime from a smaller package while giving you comparable brightness. So the idea isn't to be the brightest possible thing it's to give you the ability to see what you need on the road most without just wasting light that is then going to blind drivers mm -hmm. so is the thought process that road i would assume road bikers probably don't need it but they probably don't need the headlamp then right no and, and generally we i mean if you just very generally split them up into you know road bikers gravel riders and mountain bikers mm -hmm. uh, you know mountain bike you, you should always ride in general with handlebar light and helmet light for a ton of different reasons we can get into. Gravel right. um, is a little bit different from road. Where road, you re especially in high traffic areas, for commuters in particular, helmet light really doesn't add a whole lot short of being able to look into a pothole or around a corner really quickly. Yeah. But what it does is it the moment you move your head at all, that light is now uncontrolled flashing people. It's now... Yeah. It's not just pointing directly at them. It's flashing back and forth. So it's almost like a strobe for people all around. So yeah. generally speaking, we just, we recommend handlebar light only for road biking. And then um, we're actually going to put up a, a package because we've got our downhill package for mountain biking. That's helmet and bar light. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to put up a gravel grinder package that has the, the detour road light on the bars and then the hangover on the helmet. The idea being mm -hmm. that, if you're riding on the road to get to the gravel or in your in trafficy areas, 
you turn off the helmet light and now you've got that glare free beam that works well. Mm -hmm. And then um, when you're out in the woods and you want to, you know, stare off the side of the road to make sure there's not a bear next to you or something, you turn on the hangover and now you've got kind of the best of both worlds. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, th I think that it's horses for courses, right? You set up your equipment for what you're doing and um, yeah, road definitely. I, I don't, I don't encourage helmet lights except in rare circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I did a gravel ride the other day that was went into the night a bit and, uh, I was only using the, the detour on the handlebars and it definitely, definitely did everything I needed to do. <clears throat> Had a really good, good, uh, wide, wide beam. And I mean, you can adjust it down, excuse me, if you want, you know, a little bit more spot on the ground, but I, I found like myself kind of raising it up so that it just gave me a really good, like good, good sight line, you know, pretty far out in front of me. And then when you have it set that way though, it still is like the way that the light projects because it projects down, mm -hmm. you, you still have a, like a pretty clear, like spot of like what's lit up on the ground in front of you, like in a brighter manner yeah. compared to, um, other lights that I've had in the past, they're kind of just shining light everywhere. And it's just um, that you can't really adjust that, that like focal point that much on them, except for it's like whatever's dead middle, I guess you could say. Yeah. And a lot of commuter lights in particular, the lower end stuff, it's a round spot. And so everything outside that spot is not lit up. And where that's bad is particularly on, on like a, you know, if you're commuting in town and there's potholes everywhere, or curbs, there's not a lot of light around your front wheel and you yeah. think, well, I, I don't need to be looking straight down while I'm riding. But if you have a little bit of peripheral scatter down there, you can see what your front wheel is about to hit without looking down. Then mm -hmm. it's a lot safer and having a narrower, you know, cut off beam or not cut off beam, but like a round spot beam um, kind of leaves you wanting in a lot of those areas. So with, with the detour, we tried to fill in the entire foreground, the middle and then still give enough projection down the road so that at high speed you can see where you're going straight ahead um pretty clearly yeah you guys definitely nailed it there because it, it was um it was interesting to me to look at and see that way because i'd say in the past the lights that i've used are either you know focused spot or a diffused spot but they're both round and yeah. the way that that light kind of it was I don't know how I can explain it to people that are listening is like I had it adjusted so that it was very bright on the ground about 10 feet out in front of me and right to left it would be a pretty good wide range of like eight to ten feet of light and then at the same time though it was still projecting out in front of me where it was just kind of like brightening everything up a good you know I don't know 30 yards out where you could definitely see enough to like hey there's a person up there walking or something like that you know and I definitely um, didn't get all the people like flashing their high beams at me like like I would if I was riding with my normal light. So, <laughs> sure. yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah, everybody appreciates that. Yeah, uh, I noticed though the lights, like the headlights, they they look very different. So it's not like you just took the the um, the light that you're using for a mountain bike and just made it smaller or something like that. I mean, it it, it looks like there's like two like real big lights in there compared to like the, uh, what's the one, what's the, the big one for the mountain bike? Evo. The Evo. So it's like the Evo here. I mean, if I'm looking at it, it's got like, I don't know, like 10 different lights inside of it where that one looks like it only has like 
like two big ones or something yep. like that. Yeah, it's two completely different optic uh, structures. And um, that's because what we're trying to do with the beam is very different than um, with uh, with the mountain bike lights. So the mountain bike lights, the Evo has nine LEDs and the Hangover has six. And the idea is that we we wanted a lot of LEDs so that we could be very high efficiency. Um, but more importantly, so that we could really finely tune the beam pattern. Um, but we're not looking for a sharp cutoff there. We're kind of looking for a lot of peripheral scatter because you don't want any dark spots as your bike or your head moves around on the mountain bike. Um, cause glare, you know, you're not concerned about oncoming riders glare if they're coming. Right. It, well, yeah. If, if you're about to hit each other on trail, you want to see each other, but I don't think that'll be it. <laughs> They so should the, see you from pretty damn far away. <laughs> yeah. With the with the road light though, that cutoff beam to get the amount of throw we want down the road, um, uh -huh. and still have that really sharp cutoff in the beam pattern, we have to have a really small point source. So we actually only have two LEDs, or the same LEDs that we use in the other lights, um, and then two large scoop reflectors. So the idea is that rather than having the LED uh, pointing straight out through an optic that's kind of focusing and diffusing in different ways. On the road light, the LED is pointing down into a kind of like snow shovel style reflector that oh, wow, redirects okay. it and shapes it out. And um, this is pretty common in automotive headlights. And that's, you know, essentially what we're trying to recreate, but shapes differently for the types of speeds you see on a bike versus a car. Um, Interesting. So yeah, it's totally different design architecture. And that's also why like the detour has um, heat sink fins on the top of the light. It's because the LEDs are directly under those fins pointing down. So that's the shortest path to get the heat out of the LEDs quickly uh, versus mm -hmm. our, our uh, mountain bike lights. There's fins on the bottom and, and kind of through the center of it um, because the LEDs are on a wall inside the middle of the light. So we got to get the heat out from there. So it's, yeah, we basically start with the beam pattern we need, design the optics that we need to achieve that, and then the rest of the light pieces and fits around that from there. Right on, man. That's pretty. It's it's definitely a lot more going on there than than what the average person would think of. I mean, do you guys have much problem with overheating? Like on the the Evo is such a big light. I mean, you have some like some some like almost like a hood scoop on the bottom that's like come on get in here <laughs> exactly yeah and that's i mean that's what it's for is because the leds are uh kind of in the middle of the the product front to back and mm -hmm. so if we have to get the heat out just convecting it through material it's got to go a long ways to get to the outer shell where where air is going across it so we basically just put a channel through the center of the light so the mm -hmm. air goes through it and pulls the heat out directly from the back of the LEDs instead of having to, to spread it through the shell first. Um, and yeah, the, the Evo is kind of a brick shit house in that regard. It's perhaps a little bit overdone thermally, um, mm -hmm. but we've, we've got thermal controls and everything. So the idea is that if you're moving at two miles an hour, even just mm -hmm. a little bit, you're gonna be moving fast enough to get enough convective airflow to keep the lights totally stable and cool and fine. So, like, if you were using the hangover on your head or whatever, then you were just walking. Like, say you were using it for a hike, it would still be cool enough. Yeah, you also wouldn't need the full blast max output because you're walking. You don't need to see yeah. feet in front of you at all times. So, um, it's true. Yeah, if you have just enough airflow, it'll be fine. But they're not designed to be totally thermally stable standing still like a work light from Home Depot because 
that's not the intended application. And if we had, yeah. had made it, you know, thermally stable, sitting still with no airflow, it has to be a lot bigger, heavier, bulkier. None about nothing about that is good for optimizing it for bike use. So we're yeah. we're trying to make something that works really well for the intended application, and maybe not as well for other random uses. But you know, stuff like skiing or jogging or whatever. Yeah, they work pretty well for that too. Yeah, um, yeah and I saw it with the uh, with the detour. I don't know if this comes in the other one too because. Obviously, I'm getting my lights direct, directly from you in a, in a non-retail kind of way. But you have this new uh, GoPro kind of, of mount. Is yeah. that something that you guys just developed for Detour, or is that coming all of them? Uh, no, I, I just tossed that in the box so you could have it. Just I uh -huh. wasn't sure what your gravel rig setup was like. Um, uh -huh. It's something we made. Um, we had 3D printed GoPro adapters for, for Evo for a while. Uh, uh -huh. We needed them, and we just give them out to people as, as they asked. Um, and then we got that one production tooled so that we'd have a nice glass reinforced nylon mount that works with mm -hmm. GoPro mounts and maintains that quick release interface. Um, mm -hmm. We just didn't really publicize it until we launched Detour because the primary application for that is Detour on a road bike with an out front GPS. And mm -hmm. you have a combo mount with like a GoPro mount underneath it. Yeah. So you can put your GPS on top and you can hang the light underneath it on the same mount. And yeah. not a lot of people, there's, there's a lot fewer people on mountain bikes using it that way. There's still some out there, um, but road bikers, that's, that's a very common application. So once we, we didn't want to launch detour until we had that and mm -hmm. then detour got delayed by a bunch of supply chain garbage and we yeah, already had good. that ready. So um, yeah, it works with Evo as well. So if you want to, you know, stick an Evo on your helmet, you can use that mm -hmm. adapter for it. I wouldn't recommend that, but. No, you know, that would be. I feel like that would get to your neck after a while, but yeah. I don't know. It sounds like something I'd be willing to do. <laughs> I mean, just for science, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, yeah, that that. I mean, so if somebody wants one, they just uh, go on the website and it's a couple bucks or something. Or... Oh yeah, yeah. We've got that available in our accessories now. Um, it used to be like when we were three D printing stuff. You know, we we try to be pretty quick to react to. You know, customer feedback and trends mm -hmm. and whatever and we've got um some industrial level 3d printers in-house specifically mm -hmm. so that we can make random custom attachments when needed now that's not a service that we necessarily publicized because there's only four of us and that takes an right. of time and um and all that but like early on for example with evo there are a few people that only had the option to mount it with a gopro adapter we mm -hmm. didn't have that so I printed some up and sent it to him and uh, one of them took a crash and broke it. And so I looked at it and beefed it up in certain spots and tweaked it a little bit and printed some more. And, you know, just as people asked, we would just send it to them so that they had a solution rather than just saying, sorry, we don't have anything for that. Um, yeah, no, that's really rad. What, um, um, what material do you print in when you're doing that? Oh, uh, we use nylon 11 right now, or sorry, nylon 12. Um, it's a, so we have a form labs, uh, fuse SLS printer. Mm -hmm. So laser centered powder. Um, and what that does is it gives us really, really nice finish quality to the point that unless yeah. you're the kind of nerd that pays attention to this stuff, you wouldn't know necessarily that it's a 3d. No, printer. those powder ones are pretty sick. We have some at work too. And I'm like, Oh wow, that's freaking a way different level of detail than what I'm getting with like pet G at home, you know? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Any of the FDM printers, like they're good for hobbyist level stuff and making quick and dirty things. But yeah. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable not necessarily sending that to a customer or charging them money for it. So like, yeah. right. If we're going to do this, we need to have something legitimate quality and, uh, and really homogenous. So yeah, we, we, the form labs have been super helpful for prototyping. We actually use it a ton for making jigs for our production tooling. It's like, we've got mm -hmm. a, um, we've got a soldering robot that does soldering mm -hmm. for us. And so we made a tray with a bunch of 3d printed, um, holders that will hold 25 evos in a tray at just the right angle so the soldering robot can come in solder the battery pack in move on to the next and so all we have to do is load up the tray put it in the tool press go go to the next tool do the same thing inspection afterwards and, and done and that's all stuff we can make the tools to run the tools in-house which is yeah super nerdy but also really fun <laughs> no it's really cool man i i am um, i i I'm going to get off topic on this 3D printing thing because it's have it has my attention lately, man. Right. Just, I, I put it off for a long time because it was one of those things where I'm like, man, that looks like something I'd really get into. And we were talking before the show, like I get hyper-focused on shit, man. So I know that when something like that's coming my way, I have to be like calculated about when I do it because I'm going to go down this freaking rabbit hole and it's just going to be like see you later rob he's gone for like three weeks you know like and uh so i i broke down like a couple months ago and bought one bought a little prusa fdm and uh dude it changes the way that you think about things in your life instead of being like man that sucks i can't find this little doohickey on amazon that i want you're like fucking hey i'll just make that thing you know like it, and uh good no it's like that's my favorite thing about it is like i need a really unique custom thing that may not even exist and if it does it costs a bunch of money and i have to have yeah. it here i'm just going to print it real quick and i'll have it later tonight and then i use it one time for that one thing and then yeah. cool <laughs> yeah yeah like it, it's just like so many things that i wouldn't even thought of like this little bracket that holds my my road mic onto my boom stand like broke a couple days ago and apparently it's it's like a design flaw from road you can call them up and i'll send you a new one right but in the meantime what are you going to do and then there's like you know people are like oh here's a here's a file just print this it won't last but like it'll work for right now it's like dude freaking 30 minutes later boom put my microphone back together you know it's like that's yep. super rad <laughs> Oh man, there was all kinds of people doing that for like Shimano brake levers when Shimano is out of stock of everything for like nine months and you like break one on the trail on a crash. People were 3D printing brake levers just as a just to get them by because they couldn't right. get a replacement. It's like, yes, this is the perfect application of this technology. Yeah, it's really rad, man. Like I, I didn't think about it more than like people just kind of making silly things or prototyping or something like that my and whenever i first bought mine i was watching one of the videos and i think it was the guy from prusa that was talking and he's like basically their idea is that someday who knows where it is how far into the future but it's like you get you know you go on amazon and instead of like buying these like things like let's just say it's uh 
like like plastic utensils right you mm -hmm. know instead of buying a set of 25 of them you know you just hit print and then it's like poof there they are you know it's like what the hell there you go you know it's it's almost like a trope in every sci-fi movie where they they press a button yeah. and whatever they're thinking about appears but yeah i mean that's it's it's a little ways off but yeah. we're getting we're getting close to that reality which is super cool and with those different mediums, like what you were talking about, like the the powder one that you have, and there's the other one that's like a laser in water or something like it's like in liquid, it's kind of and like I imagine a day where there'll be a system where it has basically like all those different abilities, you know, yeah. and so like you'll be able to print the freaking titanium piece, or you'll be able to print the the plastic piece, or you'll be able to print this high detail thing. And it'll all be there sitting, you know, it'll be like when you move into a house, you know, you yeah. buy a, a refrigerator and a stove and a printer, you know, it's like, <laughs> like it, it'll, it'll get that way. And um, it's really interesting to think about how many things that could just, just be like manufactured in your own home that way. It just blows my mind. Well, and it, and it opens up so many possibilities from the engineering perspective, too, where it's not just, um, you know, I can use a nylon 11 that's super pliable and bendy. I can use a nylon 12 that's more rigid but brittle. I could use the PTG, which is really inexpensive and lightweight. I can um, uh, use um, silicone-based resins that are actually like 50A durometer. I can make gaskets from them. But then you can also, because you're, it's additive manufacturing, it's not subtractive. You don't have to start with a raw material or like a casting where yeah. you can't cast cavities, right? Yeah. You have a way to, to break things apart and you can't, um, you can't injection mold something that's completely enclosed because you have no way of removing what's inside of it. Uh, right. With additive manufacturing, you can make something that is completely enclosed and super strong with like a lattice structure inside that's lightweight and adding mm -hmm. strength but mostly air cavity like you can do so many cool things with it and it you know like even reeb is doing that now with their um you know atherton's been doing it for a little while with their titanium lugs and carbon fiber uh, mm -hmm. tubes but reeb's doing that now with steel lugs for the sst you know they're 3d printing the the dropouts and the bottom bracket junction and the pivot junction so that they can just weld them up to steel tubes and They've got really intricate structures inside to make it so that it's not just steel, but it's also lightweight where they couldn't do that with a typical cast part or a machined part. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of crazy. It, it, it'll be interesting to see how it changes things into the future. You know, someday you might just be printing your bike, you know, like print a new frame, you know, <laughs> just like, all right, here you go. Yeah. As things get, as, as that technology just gets better and things get, get easier to manufacture and cheaper, like from a tooling yeah. perspective, yeah, there's going to be more of that everywhere. Um, you yeah. know, honestly, if we it, it, we don't have as many opportunities in our in a product like ours that's so so small and um, to to really employ 3D printing in the product itself. Mm -hmm. um, but without 3D printing, it would take us way longer to both produce to to do the testing, the prototyping, all mm -hmm. do all the assembly. Um, it's yeah, it's a game changer for sure. Yeah, the prototyping side of it is just. Um phenomenal and we i work for a robotics company and we use printers for prototyping and as well as um even our our manufacturer rv has parts on it that are printed you know it's a 10 million dollar vehicle and it's still got you know stuff that's i mean it's it's 
not printed like what you would do at home, but it, it's interesting that, you know, there's stuff like that. So yeah. another thing I was going to say about this mount that you mentioned that we were talking about earlier, kind of got us on the 3D printing is uh, you said, you know, not a lot of mountain bikers have that, uh, that, that Garmin mount that kind of puts it out in front. Mm -hmm. However, PNW makes a stem that has a GoPro mount like built into the stem. I don't know if there's any other companies that do that, but this would be super clean in, in, in a situation like that because then it's just like you unscrew it and boom, you know, there you go, your 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 light's off. Yeah, so I'm, I've actually this, got one of those on my hardtail right now. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, I have one behind me if anybody's watching. There's <laughs> one right up there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you mentioned this uh, quick release system and uh i think that's also another thing that's pretty cool that that i really like about your light is you know you, you put that mount on your handlebars but the actual light itself kind of pops off really easily and goes on there super snug it's not like like anything that you have to um, worry about it coming off at all is this that's something you guys just came up with on your own or did you like kind of just use some idea from somewhere else or we kind of used a patent that expired 40 years ago um oh, nice. so um any of the photographers out there will be familiar with the manfrotto mounts that are you know camera tripod mounts uh -huh. so you basically have a base on your camera with some uh, chamfered edges that will slide in and it'll push down on this brass plunger that releases a lever that snaps closed to hold the foot in place um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's big, it's bulky, it's clumsy, but it, it works really well for that application for quick on and off and keeping it super snug. So we basically took that concept and miniaturized it and um, kind of dialed it in for where we wanted to be able to situate the lights. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that you have essentially one hand ergonomics where you can reach in, grab the light with three fingers, pull up the lever, to release it and just slide it out. So you don't have to have two hands pulling tiny plungers or bending a thing out of the way to, to snap this thing off. Um, and most importantly for us, because that lever is a, is a cam interface, it's ramped. Mm -hmm. What that means is the lever closes as far as it needs to, to hold that light in place, to hold the foot of the light. And if that interface wears over time, then the lever just closes a little bit further to take up the slack. So you don't mm -hmm. have wiggle because wiggle, like if you've got a rubber strap weight on your bike, um, yeah, those it suck. flops around and it moves yeah. and you see that shaking in the beam pattern, particularly on rough trails. And mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those things that you, if that's the only thing you've ever ridden with, you might not realize how distracting it is until you go use something that doesn't do that. Um, and you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I've been riding with this floppy piece of crap for so long. Um, and yeah, like a, a lot of other quick release interfaces, they're like bendy plastic levers mm -hmm. where you slide something on and it snaps in place, but it's got play in it. It doesn't cinch mm -hmm. it tight. And as it rattles and moves around, it just develops more play. So you can never mm -hmm. have it really like firmly mounted on the bike. It's always just going to be wiggly and it's just going to get worse over time. So that was one of the key features of this design we liked where it didn't it didn't develop play and wear down the same way. I noticed you guys also changed the handlebar clamp for the the Evo as well. The original one I had, you kind of just locked it onto the handlebar where you wanted it. And if you wanted to move it up and down, you either 
left it loose enough that you could move it or you had to take a tool out to, to do that. But now you can lock it in and then there's like a little micro adjuster that I can use to make the beam go up and down. Yeah. And that's, I'll, I'll give you a quick story in the background of how all that came to be. The, yeah. you know, the, the shells on Evo and hangover um, up until very recently, Evo has been a cast magnesium lower shell um, since the beginning. And with that, we had a cast aluminum mount. We wanted it to be heavy duty, to be really strong and all that. And what we realized is that, um, and, and that angle adjust interface, we had it basically a flat friction face. The idea being that you could tighten it down enough so that it's not going to move on the trail, but loose enough that you can still adjust it by hand without a tool. That was kind mm -hmm. of the sweet spot we were shooting for. Turns out that manufacturing tolerances for cast metal with powder coated surfaces are just shit. And um, <laughs> like we got a wide distribution of fit between those two parts. And yeah. the stuff right in the middle worked perfectly. The stuff on either end just didn't. And um, that was a problem. And then we found with the aluminum mounts, we had to have rubber uh, on the inside to prevent, you know, scratching up carbon bars and stuff like that, because nobody likes that. And then yeah. we didn't want to damage bars in a crash. Like if you crashed and hit your light front head on into a tree, mm -hmm. we didn't want the mount to damage your carbon bars. So we effectively had to build in a crumple zone to the mount so that in a crash, the mount would break without causing worse, more expensive, uh, you know, higher safety risk damage. Yeah. Means the mounts are really brittle. <laughs> and uh, we started shipping them out and started getting some complaints and immediately started redesigning it to switch to glass reinforced nylon. Um, the idea being that we can get the stiffness we want with the glass fiber fill. Um, and we can kind of tune that so that it's stiff enough to not like flop and bend, but still have the ability of the nylon to bend under impact rather than snap. Um, mm -hmm. Then we could eliminate the rubber gasket under the clamps because it's not going to damage, nylon's not going to damage carbon bars in any situation. Um, we can uh, beef up the hinge where we had the, the kind of crumple zone and the aluminum design. So mm -hmm. now that's no longer, we don't have to have a crumple zone. We basically design it so that you hit your light head on in the front. Um, the mount bends back until it hits the stem and mm -hmm. it's fine. Now that doesn't mean they're invincible. <laughs> Nothing yeah, yeah. like is invincible. People find creative ways to break shit all the time, but um, it's a lot more robust now. And um, it's uh, it, when we did that. So the, the angle adjust you mentioned 10 minutes ago when you started me on this tangent, um, that was something we added in a thumb screw because people hated having to take a tool out. Um, yeah two and a half mil screws which not a lot of people had like specialized little multi-tool doesn't have yeah. a two and a half mil in there um so the other thing too is like with a lot of the tools nowadays like some of them are just super small and they work for things that have a really easy um path to get to but I, I, there's a handful of things that i've been trying to fix on my bike on the trail that my multi-tool is just too small to like like it won't fit in the spot right, you know, or I can't turn it right because it's too bulky another way. And yep. So I think the thumb screw there is like, when I saw it, I was like, this is really rad. Like I, I, I really like. We get more you know, that, about that than anything else about the mount. And it's something that I actually initially was not super excited about putting it on there because I thought it was kind of bulky looking. Mm -hmm. uh, and on my bikes, like I always just set the angle perfectly and I just left it there. 
Yeah. But we're not selling stuff to me. We're selling yeah. stuff to average people who aren't testing lights all the time. So turns out having that quick on the fly adjustment um, made a lot of people very happy. And thankfully, my partner, Matt, uh, overruled me and said it's going on every mountain no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I think my knee jerk would have been similar to yours. Like I would have initially been like, dude, just don't tighten it up so much. Like make it so it spins sort of like a brake lever. Like when you hit the ground, it'll move, but it, otherwise it doesn't, you know? And uh, so I totally would have had the same perspective as you, but then using it actually like made, I was like, okay, this is handy. You know? <laughs> like, well, and the other thing it allowed us to do too was um, we, we put teeth on that, angle adjust interface so mm -hmm. you've got five degrees of adjustment um you know five degree teeth essentially yeah so that it's locked in place so that that friction we don't rely on the friction interface anymore because what happened with that is if that surface wasn't perfectly planar or the coating was just off like we wouldn't get enough grip and you just couldn't tighten it up enough no matter what you did yeah or we'd have to put like uh fiber grip you know paste on there like you use on carbon frames of yeah. seat posts and whatnot um and that's not okay so we we added teeth so now you can just loosen it a little bit find the tooth you want lock it in place and now you don't have to worry about it slipping or, or moving yeah. hard riding yeah no that definitely um definitely was handy so it's interesting it, you know it's little things like that that i'm sure take forever to make changes in your product and then um like people just don't really think about it they're just like oh cool i'm out <laughs> you, know? you know, I, I thankfully Lauren is is now on board and she is a huge help answering emails, but uh, in particular other things too, but that in particular for me, because before that it was me answering every single customer email that comes to us. And um, I enjoy that because I get a lot of really useful data. I don't enjoy that because we get people that just assume things. <laughs> Yeah. And when they, when people assume things about a product that we put a lot of time and effort into every little detail on, yeah, it'd be frustrating to, to try to explain. No, actually the reason we designed the teeth with that specific profile, like, people don't really need that level of detail. They just want me to solve whatever problem they have. So um, I try to just get over myself and, and just solve problems, but yeah, everything we're doing, we're trying to be really quick to react. If we see a problem in the field with something that might be a problem for somebody else, we fix it in the design. You know, we yeah. we just did that actually recently with. Uh, how big with, are the batches that you guys order? So, like, how how quick can you be like responsive to a change? Like, do you order a thousand at a time or five hundred at a time or? It, it depends on the part, and thankfully, the stuff you know, the parts that don't change very frequently, like our our batteries. You know, we're going right. to order, you know, depending on the pack, five to 10,000 of those at a time. Yeah. Because um, you get a better price the more you buy. But yes. it would suck if you printed, you know, or you got like, you know, 10,000 of those mounts made. And then you're like, well, this sucks. You have to eat it then, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so actually something I was doing, um, actually something I was doing earlier today is I was desoldering a bunch of the these drivers from from our um, hangover boards because we made a change to the shell but we still had like 150 of these these old boards left and the, the right. old boards don't fit in the new shell right just right so 
I'm trying to salvage what we can from that because I don't yeah. want to throw away 150 good drivers. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's the same way with all the other parts. Like on on Detour, we made a couple of changes to the the shell very quickly after we launched it. Um, mm -hmm. We started getting customer feedback and we're like, okay, we can make this better for the next run. So mm -hmm. we rolled it in immediately. We didn't, you know, we ordered a thousand shells and we got those and and we got a reorder again. It's like, all right, well, we need another 500, but that should be enough to get us by until we can get this change rolled into production. Because uh, mm -hmm. it takes time. If we need to change a mold, we've got to recut the mold. We've got to validate those parts. We've got to get through production. Like it's, you know, a couple months uh, yeah. potentially. Um, and and there's mold expensive. They're not like, it's not like you're like, hey, man, I want to change the way this is. And they're like, yeah, no problem. You know? Yeah. Exactly. It's not like, oh, sure, I can roll that in for you. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. $6,000 and it'll take two weeks to do it. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so I better be really sure that I want this and that it's yeah, worth so it. Yeah, you printed the hell out of that thing before you freaking, before you said that it sent it right. over, I'm sure. <laughs> and and even still, you know, shit happens. We Sometimes yeah. we miss stuff. Sometimes we just, we see the way things are getting used in the field. You're like, you know what? We can just make this better for that application. So we'll make a tweak to the mold mid-cycle. And we do rolling changes like that all the time. So we, you know, for mm -hmm. hard parts for shells and things, we, we're not going to order more than a thousand or two thousand of those at a time because we know we're making small improvements here and there where it's not like, hey, here's a new product. It's it's just better. Um, and we want to get that into as many people's hands as possible and not either throw out parts that are perfectly good or, um, you know, have to have to pay a lot of like scrap cost kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Production is is fun. And we've only got, you know, three main product lines and then some accessories. When you start getting into a company where it's, you know, like you think about just like Fox alone, one fork, the, the 36 comes with um, uh, different offsets. It comes with different wheel sizes. It comes with um, different dampers. Um, and then there's the 38 and the 34. And then there's some uh, different uh, tube taperings. There's a uh, different break offset. Like everything yeah, is a little bit different. Stuff. The number of SKUs to, if they need to change one thing about a casting, it's not just one casting. There's several that they may have to make those changes on. It's a lot to keep up with and it's a lot of cost and time. It's like, you got to do things right from the beginning. That's, yeah. that's the role of the story. <laughs> And that's why your fork costs a thousand bucks. Exactly. Right. Right. So, so um, I think I saw something that you guys like change some like manufacturer or something that you're using to something in the States or somewhere else. Yeah. Well, actually that um, to your point about like how, how long it takes to make those kinds of changes and in, in production mm -hmm. to get a change of design. We, we made uh, when we made detour because of the uh, the kind of the targets we were trying to hit for weight for mm -hmm. road bikers where they're counting grams and that sort of thing. We wanted to use a different material because we really just didn't like the feel. Like the cast magnesium works pretty well uh, for what we're doing, but we don't like the the tolerance and the the quality control. Essentially, it's mm -hmm. we're we're scrapping a lot of parts because they just don't meet spec. Um, mm -hmm. And we can make that a lot better if we can go to injection molded, but we don't want to make plastic lights because plastic doesn't conduct heat and it's, um, it feels cheap. 
So mm -hmm. we started working with a company um, based in the U.S. that actually produces raw material in Kentucky, uh, and they're making a a boron infused nylon, essentially a thermally conductive polymer. So we're trying to kind of bridge the gap between metal and plastic where we can get the super high tolerance, perfect surface finish of an injection molded part um, from, from plastic. We get plastic durability, but we can get the thermal conductivity and the feel of, of metal. So it's, it's technically plastic, but it's also partially metal. So when you pick it up, it's cool to the touch. You know, like if you pick up something metal and it's cold in the room, the metal mm -hmm. feels cold, but a plastic doesn't. Wood, yeah, yeah. wood is a warm touch material where you touch wood and it doesn't necessarily feel yeah. cold like metal does because it doesn't conduct heat as well. Um, but the shell actually, it feels, it doesn't feel like metal, but it doesn't feel like plastic either. It's really unique. Um, hmm. And what that essentially allows us to do is now we're getting raw materials from the U.S., um, not from somewhere else in the world. And we're, man, the lighting in here is terrible. Um, At yeah. least the people that are listening can't tell. <laughs> yeah. Lighting. I mean, I'm, I'm in Olympia, Washington, and it's, you know, it's fall. So it should be cloudy and rainy every day forever. And it's now like bright sunlight right in my yeah. eye. Right here. Uh, <laughs> anyways, the uh, so we can we can make the shells lighter weight as a result we can have uh better fit and tolerances across the board better quality control and we have enough thermal conductivity so that we can run the leds really hard but for for bike lights for example the limiting factor for us is not how hot the leds can be it's how hot the case gets before you can feel it and think ah the light's too hot something's wrong so we have sense. to limit what the leds are running at in our our magnesium lights quite a bit because it transmits heat really well to the outside of the shell. And if you feel like you're about to burn your hand, you're going to be pissed off. So yeah, uh, we're running the LEDs at 70, 75 degrees Celsius um, in uh, the standard hangover and Evo. And then with the new shells, we can actually push them over hundred pretty easily without the outside of the shell um, getting as hot. And so we're actually using the fact that it's less conductive as an advantage because of the type of application where we know we've got convective airflow um, to pull the heat out pretty quickly. Um, so, so essentially what you're saying is you can make the lights brighter now. We we can make them brighter. We can make them lighter weight. We can make them better yeah. quality. Um, all, all of the things. Um, all so of the things. I, and, and we're doing that with a facility so the materials coming from Kentucky and we're actually getting them uh, molded in Michigan. And then we bring them in house in Illinois so we can assemble everything. So from start to finish material to finish product, that that part of the product is all domestic now, which is awesome for a number of reasons, but not the least of which being that the company molding the stuff for us in Michigan, they work with automotive vendors where they might go through 10 or 12 revisions in a mold before they get to production. So they're mm -hmm. used to making iterative changes. Mm -hmm. So we we changed our hangover lower shell to this thermally conductive material, got them to start molding it. Everything looks good. We mold a thousand of them. We start getting them out there and um, had a couple people take pretty significant diggers um, mm -hmm. to their heads, like cracking your helmet kind of crashes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> so they broke the helmet and they they broke the light as well. And right. we were seeing where it was breaking on the shell. And so we said, well, we can make that stronger. So let's make a change to the mold real quick. And so we made a couple of tweaks and, 
know, we're able to basically just stop production. You know, they're in the middle of a run, so they'd run 200 more shells. So it's stop, yeah. make this change, and then uh, go back and start running again. And they can do that, and they can do it quickly because they're, they're stateside. Um, it just took us a really long time, honestly, to find a vendor that had the capability and, more importantly, was willing to be that flexible on mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because, you know, we've, we've had some overseas vendors that are fantastic really high quality they work quickly but they're still halfway across the world now you've got vendors yeah yeah now i've got vendors that are here in the same time zone as us where they can make changes quickly and have it there the next day kind of thing and yeah previously all we we had tried some american vendors previously for other parts um you know like our electronics initially when matt started the company were Mm -hmm. with the shop that was like oh if you need to make any changes or um, do anything quickly, then it's going to be six to eight weeks, or you're going to have to pay several thousand dollars for an expedite fee. Yeah. It's like, well, That's we can't amazing. afford to do either of those things because now we're going to be out of stock for two months or right. we're going to lose money. Like, it was bad. Now we've got a shop uh, down in Gilbert, Arizona, doing all of our electronics. And, you know, they're, they're expensive, but they're price competitive. They're competitive yeah. enough that I'm willing to pay them the, the premium because. If we have something like, all right, hey, we need to change this this program right now. I need to change something yeah. in the firmware. I'm going to send it to you. Reprogram all these units before you send them to me. Like they do it that yeah. day. They they're responsive, and that is the biggest thing for us, particularly during the pandemic. Where yeah, I think a lot of companies learned that during the pandemic. I think that um, there there's a good possibility that you see a lot of things kind of coming back to like to the US just because of people realize how like volatile their businesses were being, you know, dependent on things that are coming from overseas. Yeah. Who knows, you know, maybe, maybe people just forget after a year or two too. So <laughs> I don't know. People's memories are short. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, the cheaper prices are nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. We were actually the direct beneficiary of, of that exact issue because we, you know, we're small, so we don't have like, cargo ships full of product all the time, right? right. Or, you know, a couple thousand here and there. Um, but because we're assembling in-house, that means we can turn up the knob when we need to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not to name names, but Knight Rider launched a new product in August of 2020. They didn't oh, actually start shipping it until September of 2021. And a oh, big wow. part of that is that they're drop shipping shipping containers on boats across the ocean and they got stuck in canals and shit. And so they had products sitting on the ocean for four months. They couldn't do anything about. And we're like, cool, we've got parts here. We're going to assemble lights and sell them. And we could just uh, react a lot more quickly that way. So, you know, for, for companies like specialized, that's tough because they're enormous and high volume. Like they, they might have to stay overseas for a lot of their manufacturing, but for smaller companies, like honestly, it's worked out better for us paying a little bit of a premium here and there. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I had a, I used to like, we used to use gimbals a lot in, um, in my, my POV mountain biking space. And the first one I bought was a Chinese kind of, I don't know, let's just call it the other side of the ocean brand. And whenever I ran into a problem, they were like, yeah, we can fix this, but just go ahead and ship it back to us. And it's like, okay, so it's going to take like two weeks to get there. You're going to work on it for a week. And then it's going to take another two weeks for it to get back. 
And uh, I ended up buying, starting to buy these other ones from this company, um, actually, oddly enough, named Evo up in, uh, up in, in Oregon. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they were a little bit more expensive, but I could get that thing shipped up to them in like a day. Exactly. You know, they, they, they knock it out real quick and get it back to me and I could have my gimbal back within a week, you know, and uh, that was, that to me was really rad. So yeah. I mean, and, and we try to do that too. Like our, you know, that, that first generation product I showed earlier that we phased out, we don't have like normally the way we handle warranty stuff is if somebody has an issue, we immediately send them a new product with a prepaid shipping label to send the old stuff back to us so that they have the least amount of downtime and mm-hmm. they can very easily toss the old stuff in, put the label on it and drop it off and be done. They don't have to fill out a form online and send it back and then wait for a week for me to get to it. Um, mm-hmm. and the other side of that is that like, I have more time to like really look at it properly, uh, figure mm-hmm. out what failed and why and, and roll that into our design. But with the old stuff now, somebody in the US has a problem with one of their older lights. They, I'd send them a shipping label. It gets to me in two days. I can usually make a quick repair and send it out the same day. So, you know, less than a week they're out and mm-hmm. they don't have to pay any cost because it's not going overseas and, and all this. Yeah. It's a yeah, lot. Of it's also yeah, I, getting into I the think, global environment is tough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think those will be, those will be problems that you have to overcome at that time. But at, at this point in time, it's, it's definitely a, like a competitive advantage that you guys that you guys have in that, in that manner. So, it's definitely something to to think about, you know, with um, with 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 purchasing something like that. I mean, very well. Like, if you're dealing with a different company, it it could be a a, a fair amount of time for you to get some kind of warranty replacement on something. So, yeah, um, it's it's you know. As a consumer, these are the things that me, as I've gotten older, realize that, oh, it's worth extra money if that's, you know, if this other product is more expensive, but they have this kind of support, I'll pay it because it, it's like, it, it is more irritating to be without your product that you, you know what I mean? Because of some kind of issue, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, if you're off your bike because your shock blew up and yeah. Fox's service is two months out and yeah, you know, like that sucks. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I think that you know pandemic made that a lot more obvious to a lot more people. You know, mm-hmm. because every company across the globe was struggling with that. You know, we we had plenty of issues getting parts, and we still have that issue getting parts supply of things. It's only just starting to calm down. And even still, we're getting gouged on stuff like the lithium ion charger chip in there is, you know, costing us $4 more per chip per light than it did before, just because do you want parts or not? Right? Yeah. Um, But now that consumers are kind of not used to it, but pretty much every biker has had an experience now of breaking something on their bike and then not being able to get a replacement for months. And yeah, that affects the way you, you make your product decisions too, right? If you know yeah. you can get support quickly, it may be worth the premium. And we've, we've tried to make it very clear. If you buy something from us, then we stand behind it because that's what we want from like all of our, like we ride too. Like I want my yeah. bike manufacturer to support me if I, crack it in half some we're doing something dumb right not that that's happened yeah yeah no i hear you 
Man, but shitty things happen, dude, out of nowhere. I um just a couple weeks ago had the uh the blessing of doing one of the shittier climbs around here. Mm-hmm. About five miles away from my car, pretty much all climbing to get for, to where I was at. I was within a half a mile of the top of the, the hill where it's going to be like all downhill all the way home, right? Like good times, nothing but grins. And I freaking go to lay down a pedal strike and something just pops. I'm like, what the hell was that? Like, I didn't even know what it was. I was like, that was weird. Like, I know something just went wrong. So I get off my bike and I look and like, at first glance, like everything looks fine. And then I realize that one of my pivots, the axle like broke. (laughs) Like, and instantly I knew there's zero way I'm fucking fixing this on the trail. Yep. <laughs> it was like <laughs> sit there for about a minute and just accept you're walking five miles back to your truck right now. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're going through the thought in your head. All right. If I find a stick, that's the right diameter, I can yeah. kind of shave it down with a rock. Like, no, 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 no. You're done. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only thing I could think of is like, man, if I had a strap or some, some zip ties or something, I could maybe like zip tie my, my swing arm to my my down tube in a certain way but i didn't have any of that shit so it was like what are you thinking about these options for dude you have no no options just walk (laughs) bring yourself some spare pivot bolts yeah i know right (laughs) i I used to ride with a buddy in north carolina who would bring like spare seat and spare crank arms in his uh bag like oh my god it was it was over the top um yeah you draw the line right I fell into that rabbit hole for a while, man. I used to carry so much shit in my camelback, just all kinds of stuff. I would have had zip ties. Like I would have definitely had zip ties. And um, the one thing that I didn't have that I used to carry, I I was thinking that day that I might put, do you know what 550 cord is? Yeah. Okay. So like some people, some people know it by that name. Some people know it by like paracord, but Mm -hmm. basically it's like super strong nylon stringish rope and uh i was i used to have a bracelet that was made out of that that like you could take it apart and use it if you want and i was like you know what if i had that bracelet on that day i would have been able probably like rig my frame enough to like maybe i wouldn't have been able to ride it but i would have at least been able to like sit on it maybe the flattish spots and like move faster than just walking you know that makes an enormous difference when it's a five mile out (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the one thing I will say, though, that I was stoked about was I had an issue before where like my wheel, I broke so many spokes that the wheel dished into the frame. And I actually had to carry it because otherwise it would have just like rubbed the carbon raw, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was stoked that I wasn't carrying the bike. At least it rolled. (laughs) Oh, man. that reminds me of a uh, ride I did um, out in Colorado. We were there with a big group of people on a weekend trip, and um, it was in Durango. Buddy had uh, a Trek Slash and had Bontrager carbon wheels. They were pretty good until they weren't. He <laughs> cracked one of the rims, and it it cracked through the rim, so it had like the the thick, heavy. I don't know if you've seen their rim tape, where it's like a, a molded piece of plastic. It's not tape. Um, okay yeah envy has those too yeah yeah and so it's a huge pain in the ass to get off the rim but it was still bleeding air and he couldn't get it to hold air so we had like um like hockey tape 
wrapped around the tire and rim together. And then because that wasn't holding in the pressure well enough, we actually had multiple zip ties around it. But then the zip ties were still sticking out. We didn't have a, a knife or anything to cut them down. So they were like hitting the frame as they were oh, rolling. Nice. And he's like, I'm not going to destroy my carbon frame with zip ties. Right. But he had, he had a, a bowl and a lighter. So um, we just sat there with the lighter melting the zip ties, trying to pull them to get them to like, oh, Lord. A rip <laughs> and we're like, you know what? I think it's about time to call it. Like we might just be done for the <laughs> Yeah, sometimes though, man, you can do some trail side ingenuity, man, and just like change the day, right? Yep. Yeah, it got I, him down the hill. He rode down yeah. the hill. Um, got a few scratches on his frame, but he's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think those things build character, right? <laughs> exactly. What doesn't kill you? Right, right. So, um, something else you guys got going on? You have a new hangover, right? We have a new, we have a new lower shell. Okay. It's not new. So what we did, oh, so, so I sent you a, a new one because since I first met you and, and got you a light, we tweaked the optics. So we changed the beam pattern a little bit. And it's another example of one of those things where we, we design it, we get it through production, we get it out in the field, and then we start getting more feedback and we think, you know what, based on what we're seeing from people, we can make this better. So, so what was the feedback there that people were given originally? Um, basically, it was matching what we were seeing. Where our simulations for for the product, like cutting the mold for that, didn't quite line up with the the output on the on the ground. And a little background on that: when you're when you're designing optics, you have a you have an optical model of the LED itself, which is essentially a uh, basically on a gonio photometer doesn't matter. You have an LED lit up and the LED company is actually taking a picture of that LED from a really shallow angle and then rotating up a little bit and then rotating up a little bit until you have a picture of that LED 360 degrees all the way around. And mm -hmm. you can take more pictures at a finer pitch, you know, every 10th mm -hmm. of a degree, every degree, every two degrees, whatever, um, to get a better model. And we were using a, a model that had um, 1 million rays collected. So a million pictures taken of that, mm -hmm. that point source. And what happens is that because it's not a true image of the actual product, it's a simulation, our beam pattern came out looking really good on the screen and it came out a little bit tighter than we wanted in production. So the, like the spot in the center, the transition from that spot out was not as smooth as we wanted. And it was a little bit small. So mm -hmm people basically focused on this tiny spot and, and there was not a good transition to the peripheral coverage. Um, so they felt like they had tunnel vision, like a little pinpointed. Um, okay. So we decided to change the LEDs um, and tweak the optic. So, and we used a, a 10 million ray, uh, ray file this time instead of Jesus. 1 million. And like a yeah, million is not enough, right? Isn't that crazy? It, <laughs> And it's, it, you can see it in the images too, where we, we took the same, like our first model, we, we put in the 10 million instead of a million and like, oh, those are two totally different beam patterns. That oh, explains wow. it. And, you know, the, the LED companies publish those models publicly, but they only publish the low resolution ones. So right. thankfully I asked some buddies that, at Cree, because I used to work there, can you go ahead and shoot me some higher resolution stuff? Because we're actually going to use it. And 
it's it's completely changed the the way we're doing this because now we can model it and have the actual product be really damn close to it which so basically what you're saying is you'll still have the spot, but it kind of like diffuses out better instead yes. of it being like a hard line between the spot and the diffused part. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the biggest change. And then something we also did a little bit was we we made the beam a little bit more asymmetric, which is not something you'd notice or, or necessarily feel when you look at it. But the mm -hmm. idea is we don't want as much as much scatter going up into the trees. So we kind of redirected that down in the center under the spot. Um, so when you had you had uh, uh, Steve from Hardtail Party on here recently, you mentioned mm -hmm. he calls it like a cat's eye kind of mm -hmm. thing, where it's you get the spot down the trail, but because further out down the trail is is further away versus you know the more down you look, the closer it is to you. Right. We just have a little tail of light coming down, but that ends up making it look like a vertical stripe of really even illumination down the trail. Um, mm -hmm. the idea is that the Evo on the bars is super wide so that if you turn your bars back and forth, you're not seeing the spot bouncing across the trail, but it's very evenly illuminated. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't see wild changes. And then the, the hangover gives you kind of this vertical stripe so that they blend really well together. So you don't see like two spots running around. Mm -hmm. You just see kind of everything and you don't mm -hmm. necessarily notice where your helmet light is pointing you're just you're looking where you're looking and that's what you yeah see. um so the idea is we just want it to be very very even um mm -hmm. and that was the, the primary difference right on and then you said you changed the lower end the lower part so it's just that new material then yep yeah which so then it tuck it another two millimeters closer to the helmet uh -huh. um, we can make it a little bit um thinner and kind of sculpt out that shape a little bit um which lower the helmet it is, the less you feel it on your neck. Um, it's you know subtle enough that it's hard to see like side by side, but it's two millimeters exactly. Uh, yeah, I noticed the uh, like the little venting stuff was like a little different too. It looked yeah. like yeah, you kind of changed the way that happened. Yeah, and and part of that is because we wanted we realized we had some dead space inside the shell. You know, the first there you go. Um, yeah, so there first you time on the left camera left. Versus the yeah. new one on the right with the the red sticky tape thing. Yeah. Uh, so the the first one really smaller too. Space inside where we wanted the top shell and the bottom shell to kind of just meld to the same profile, um, and so we added these uh, these dive chamfers on the sides of the hangover um, mm -hmm. right here, so that the idea is that when you pick it up with your hands, you're you're picking it up at a smaller like a thinner touch point. Um, mm -hmm. And because that's, you know, space that we didn't need inside there. We didn't need a, that air cavity um, and did the same thing on the bottom. And so we could cut those heat sink fins back a little bit, too, because we didn't need that much um, venting area. Like we have plenty of thermal capability with what's on there. So it's but, you know essentially just optimizing every one of those little facets. But I feel like that um, chamfer that you put on the side it also gives you like kind of a finger hold for if you're trying to adjust the the light compared to the original one and it, it's not something that i would have even really noticed until i'm like here holding them you know next to each other it's like no that's actually like ergonomically it feels better like just to be able to grab it and be able to to, to move where the light's pointing at good yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, of course, what we were going for. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> sure. That's what you were going for. Yeah. It's, it's, 
yeah the designing stuff like this is fun because um you know matt does the uh the mechanical design we go back and forth on it but he's the, the engine behind that and um you know some of this stuff we we want it to look good we want it to you know not look like a block of cheese um but ultimately everything starts with some functional purpose like there's a reason that we make that change and then we try to smooth it to make it look good so like that chamfer could just be a straight cutout, but it would look kind of gross so we you know tried to make it look more like the evo have some common design language between them uh, yeah yeah and uh you know something we incorporated into the, the detour as well and so we're, we're we're trying to be more thoughtful of not just the the, the function but also the form as we kind of refine our designs because everything we're doing is we're not necessarily and we're making new products but a lot of the existing products we're not out there to say all right three years from now this product no longer matters it's um you know uh obsolete mm -hmm. we're just optimizing it we're figuring out as we get more data okay this needs to change a little bit like this we need to change this angle slightly and uh just make it a better more thoughtful product all the way around um just to go over some things that i know we talked about before when you guys when you first turn on your lights the first setting is kind of like just let the the computer inside of there handle it and it'll be as bright as it can for as long as it can and it kind of like slowly over time gets like dimmer and dimmer right yeah so pretty much every bike light not every i'm, I'm generalizing but most bike lights that people are going to be using from you know common brands night rider light motion and so on they mm -hmm. they in their high modes they start at max brightness and then they taper off uh, right and they don't have to do that so what we did is we put in an adaptive mode which is the first mode um, that does that but in a very controlled deliberate fashion so over the first 20 minutes it tapers off a little bit faster but still so slow that you don't notice it and then it mm -hmm. flattens off the idea being that your eyes take a little bit to adapt to the darkness for your night vision to, to adjust mm -hmm. for your pupils to dilate and uh, you don't notice that change and after about 20 minutes that effect is is basically set like you're good mm -hmm. so we don't want it to continue tapering at the same rate because you're going to start noticing that drop so if we flatten it off after that point you don't feel the change from the initial turn on but you're now getting 30 percent better runtime as a result mm -hmm. so really what we wanted to do with with the modes is is cover the two main bases of of users like enduro riders and cross-country riders Mm -hmm. generalizing of course but there's a lot of people that go out for night rides and the types of trails they're on it's up and down and up and down and they're just moving pedaling the whole time you probably mm -hmm. don't want to be constantly futzing with the light output you just want it to be on the whole time that's mm -hmm. perfect for adaptive because you just turn it on and you leave it alone and it's so what's the, the battery life like in adaptive mode then like um, how long will it stay that way yeah like on evo it's two and a half hours um, uh -huh. and then all of, all of the modes have a 20 minute get out of the woods where it'll trip down to low when it gets down to 5% battery. Mm -hmm. uh, so it doesn't just shut off suddenly. It gives you some time on a lower output mode and then has a little death pulse for 10 seconds before it mm -hmm. shuts off completely so that oh nice you can know, hey, you're about to lose all your light. Please stop riding your bicycle. Um, and That's really uh, good. I, I remember talking about that on the first episode and it's like, or the first time we talked on and just um i've had lights shut off on me before and 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 
not all and it doesn't seem like it happens in a good spot you know and uh so it, basically your last five minutes you're gonna it's gonna go down to like a walk mode kind of like really dim but like hey it's still on it'll, it'll go down to 20 percent. so it's not super yeah. dim but yeah. you probably aren't going to be riding at 30 miles an hour down your fastest street. You're down. you're going to notice it when it happens. And it's going to be like, oh, shit, yeah. dude, I got five minutes, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll notice the change and say, all right, I've got 20 minutes to get back to the car. But uh -huh. you're not going to just lose all the light and crash, um, which uh -huh. is the big thing. Like, safety is very important with this because, you know, like your derailleur gets ripped off. You can still ride, right? Yeah. You're not going to crash because of it necessarily unless it gets sucked yeah. into your wheel. If your light shuts off and it's the only light you have, eh, yeah. I mean, yeah. all bets are off, yeah. right? Yeah. So we try to design into the circuitry so that, like, if, like, say you get water in the light, the mm -hmm. lights are waterproof. Shit happens though. You take a crash, you damage the shell, now some water, whatever happens. Mm -hmm. We want to make it so that if there's water in the light, the fail safe mode is not for the light to shut off, it's for it to stay on. Um, so that maybe you can't turn the light off now. But that's better than having it off and not being able to turn it on. Um, yeah. So we're trying to be really cognizant of that stuff from a safety standpoint so that you don't have to to worry about that sort of thing. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like the worst case scenario in our previous lights, we had, you know, an external battery pack. What's the one thing that fails the most on an external battery pack light? The connection between the battery and the yeah. light wires. And um, those wires, if they if they start to fail and break contact, you you lose power like mm -hmm. it's going to shut off the light um so that's why we wanted to move that's one of the main reasons we wanted to move to an internal battery pack light where everything's self-contained because that can't happen you can't yeah. lose connection between the battery and the light because it's internal so even if you're you're passed through charging from a usb power bank like to get longer runtime if that power bank gets ripped off in a crash or something the light stays on so yeah you're still good I forgot you can do that with your light too. So you can just hook a USB-C up to it and drop that in your bag and plug it into the light and it'll it'll charge it while you're riding it as well. Yep. Yeah, and and it, you know, depending on the it's it's Pandora's box with everything like this, like Right. In an ideal world, you just pick up any power bank you find off Amazon or whatever and you plug it in and it works perfectly forever. Um but we found some brands are better than others and we can't be held responsible for Amazon cheap garbage. Um, yeah. But, you know, like if you, you plug it in, then you'll get extended runtime. And it's just a matter of what type of, like what modes you're running in and, and your use case. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's, that's our current products do that. Our next gen, we're, we're definitely going to make it so that you can run, like you could run the light dead, plug it into one of our packs and run the light at full power from that. Um, instead oh, of just so you're gonna have your own little power banks basically yeah and we we didn't want to release that we didn't want to make another power bank that was the same as what already exists for less money from a bunch of reputable brands um, yeah so we just thought it'd be it it would be kind of redundant and it would be more expensive and it would distract us so we said all right we're not going to do that until we get the charging system to the point with the next generation where we can add some some actual features that that make more sense for this application um so yeah we got some we got some things coming that's really rad uh, i forgot about the battery pack thing because now i'm like well shit, i freaking just put i got this freaking little like it's probably about the size of an ipad but man i could plug that thing into the light and i'd, I'd probably just stay on high all night long 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. For for hangover, you pretty much can. Um, for and for detour, you can in any mode with a Q three QC three point rating on a power bank, which is kind uh -huh. of standard, like brand agnostic rating. Yeah, it'll keep up with all modes. Um, Evo because it's higher power, you can you can get high maximum runtime to about four hours, um, and that's where it stays at a hundred percent. So like those mm -hmm. modes we were talking about a moment ago. High for us means it starts at 100% and it stays at 100% until it gets to you know low battery condition. The uh -huh. idea being that you start a ride with a long climb, you put it on low for the 45 minute climb, and now you've got a 10 minute, 30 mile an hour descent. You put it on high knowing that no matter what your battery level is at, you're getting maximum output, not wherever yeah. it is on the curve, right? Right. So whatever you're, you're, so basically those of you guys listening, you hit the button once, turns it on, it's in adaptive mode. So it's going to give you the brightest light it can until it's just about dead. But then there's like every other time you hit it, you then go to high, then you go to medium, then you go to low. And each one of those you're saying it stays at that percentage until like hundred, it stays there for sure until you get to low battery mode, which you said is about 20 minutes of low battery mode. Okay. Yeah. So, and then so, right before that shuts off, it, it does blinky, 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 yeah, like strobe it, light. Like a, a slow pulse. So it doesn't like flash on and off. Like it goes oh, okay. from bright to dim for 10 uh, seconds. So yeah. it's enough time so you can notice it and be like, oh, that means the light's about to go die. I can hit the brakes, right. roll over the side of the trail, and then it shuts off. Right. And you're going to, of course, at that point already be on like alert because it's already dropped down. So you're you're going to know like, Okay, I'm in the danger zone. So if I start seeing it pulse, like, stop. <laughs> exactly. Yep, safety first or third or whatever. Yeah, whichever place it falls in that night. So, <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. Now I now I feel like I want to go out and test it. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? It's it's totally user dependent. Like, if you don't do, um like enduro style rides, then yeah, you just put it on adaptive and that's the best, best option for you. But yeah. like my, my Tuesday night rides, we ride in the place here in Olympia. That's um, basically 500 feet max from top to bottom of any descent. Um, but we've got, we just basically go up the hill, down the hill, up the hill, down the hill. And it's, yeah. you know, a 15 minute climb to get to the top of the hill. So that means that for those 15 minutes, I don't need it on max power. So yeah. I could I go out there and ride for two hours every Tuesday and I'm never dipping even into half of the battery because I put it on low for the climbs. And then on the descents, I've got max power for the five minutes down or whatever. And yeah. I'm good to go. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like what I did last night. I knew I was going to end up finishing in the dark. So I had my, the one for my helmet in, in my hip pack. And mm -hmm. then I had the Evo on the handlebars and I finished this one downhill section about the time that I needed a light. And at that point I just turned the handlebar on like low, did this 20, 30 minute climb. And then at that point took my, the one out of my hip pack, put it on my head and put them both on full blast and then had the rest of the downhill back, back. So it, it, uh, it was fun. It, it's been a while since I've been night riding, honestly. And obviously, I mean, I guess it's been a season, you know what I mean? And, uh, um it was fun it was definitely fun and and it was um it, i i think because it's been so long since i used your lights like it reminded me of why i i liked your lights you know what i mean like um 
like you were talking about earlier, the problem with the cord, you know, some the the night rider lights I had before. I've definitely, you know, you you have like to have a really bright light was is what I would need to be able to get the optics that I need mm -hmm. to ride, you know, the way that I want to ride. And to do that, I would end up having one that was that had a cable. And you know, you're riding through the woods and you know, some of you guys in Sedona probably don't have this problem, but like trees and shit, grab that stuff. I mean, I've had my head yanked and I've had the cable pulled out, like you were saying, and like also like that mount. And I, I don't want to just sit here and shit on Night Rider, but like that mount that they have, it just makes the light stick up so much further off the top of your helmet that you your your brain doesn't really think about it until you like snap your head backwards because it caught some limb you know yeah and well, you're used to already you're used to ducking out of the limbs at a normal level and now at night yeah. you need to know to duck further right <laughs> yeah yeah and with yours i mean it's 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 not much of a of a like it doesn't go up very high you know you guys kind of use your 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 form factor to go more wide and um so i think it's just it, it doesn't happen as much i i definitely haven't like caught my head on your light compared to my night ride night rider light I used to do it all the time and and that's what you know that's even after years of using it and knowing that like hey you have to overly duck you know it still would happen so um for sure definitely well, i mean there i'm not gonna shit all over night rider either like this is the thing like there's options out there for people yeah. who like different things um and you you uh, you expressed that to Steve too, like the, the perfect product for you, we don't make yet. Um, yeah. We will for, for the helmet. We're going to give you a more powerful helmet light, but right now our system isn't that, and we can, we can fix that. Um, yeah. And there's going to be some people that just prefer having an external battery pack because they like knowing that they've got this massive energy store somewhere else. They like being able to carry an extra one, maybe whatever. Yeah. And we're trying to address as many of those, you know, basically everybody's concerns about everything with what we can, but we know that we're not going to be for everybody. And that's, that's okay. Like that's why there's options out here. Um, I think for you, for me, like your light is the perfect light unless I'm trying to like PR something like that's well, the, that's the only time. And well, that's what Steve, I said to Steve. I want to be be clear. <laughs> yes. Well, and and I want to I want to make some clarifications on this day. When you say want to pure something, that's you on your trails, which are really fast straight trails, right? Yeah, yeah. Like mobbing high speed straight line yeah. stuff, where the peripheral visibility is not as key. You need to see further out in front of you than the majority right. of people are ever going to need. So that means you need more power and more throw from your helmet. Yeah. And yeah, that's the product we don't have yet, but it'll be yeah. next year around this time. Um, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Yeah, I am. I, um, I, 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 I'm super stoked to hear that. Like honestly, because um, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy your product. I really do. I, it's not like, um, hey, I got this guy on my podcast, so I'm gonna tell him this stuff's great. Like, <laughs> like I really like your product. I, I, I wouldn't say it if I, if I didn't, and. Um, I uh, anytime anybody asks me about buying a light it's like yeah these are the ones get these and um and if they have something else that they're kind of using and they want to like just buy one i usually tell them like i would just buy both of them like 
just get give your light away or have it as a spare for your buddy or a spare you can carry in your bag if your 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 battery dies on your evo or something but like just buy the combo pack and go because it's hands down out of all the lights that i've bought over the years this is the best package it's there's like no doubt about it to me i love the fact that um like the charging cable is just usb c it's super simple like if you you, you lock it's not like it's some like proprietary connection or something it's like wireless the battery and everything's all in there that the way that adaptive mode works is great um it just and the beam patterns alone is is where it's like really i mean that's what really makes it shine honestly so um well and, and you you mentioned the usb and i i'm willing to say something about it because i saw somebody comment about it uh recently like we we designed the cable so that they're low profile when they're inserted and that they're watertight so that if you're using that pass-through charging like from a power bank to extend your runtime the lights aren't vulnerable during that time. Yeah. Um, that means that not every single USB-C cable can fit in the light because of that waterproof interface. Mm -hmm. And so I had somebody giving me crap the other day because we've made a non-proprietary interface, proprietary because of that. And I'll say, say two things about that. One, our USB cables are cheaper than anything else on the market because we don't want to make money off selling people USB cables. I don't mm -hmm. want that to be a thing. If I'm so you have like a really long one I could order, like a three foot long or something like that. Yeah, they're all yeah, they're all 42 inches. And we've got okay. um, USB A to C and we've got C to C cables. Um uh -huh. but we only charge five bucks for them because we basically make no money on the cables. We don't care. That's not what our company exists for. We're we're not trying to make a proprietary thing. We just want it to be a standard USB thing. So you don't have to have a proprietary charger that you now have to only get from us and pay us a bunch of money for. And yeah, not every single cable, like Apple's hundred watt, you know, laptop connector, it's too big to fit in the housing. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'll send yeah. you a cable so you can have yeah, a spare yeah. somewhere else and it'll, it'll be okay. So we'll, we'll tweak that kind of stuff, that geometry in the future to, because you know, that's a complaint mm -hmm. that's legitimate. Um, but I also just want to make it clear, like we're, and I think anybody that's ever dealt with, with me or us for customer service knows that like, we're not trying to hook customers into buying something where they now have to come back to us for $15 accessory. And then another $10 mm -hmm. accessory It's like, I don't have time for that shit. I want you to buy the lights. Yeah. And I want yeah. those to cost money and to be good. And then everything else, like, I'll just give you a cable. That's fine. Just, yeah. you know. So the hangover and the Evo, like if you're talking about the the mountain bike lights, they're if they were both on adaptive, they both last two and a half hours. No. Okay. Uh, that's good. Enough. I saw this comment. I just quickly scanned um, through the comments here on this uh, this live cast, and somebody's talking about the having a twenty one seven hundred in the um, in the hangover. So we've got in the Evo, we've got two. 21700 size cells, which is a common lithium ion size cell, the nerds will know. Um, and in Hangover, we've got an 18650. Uh, the, so that's basically an 18650 is 40% less capacity than a 21700. We used the 18650 because that was much more available to us at the time, a lot fewer manufacturers of the bigger cells. And it also made the light lighter weight and smaller and a little bit less expensive. We, and the new light, 
um, that you will want next year with the higher output, you'll also put in a 21700. So it'll basically be half of an Evo in terms of weight, um, size, battery capacity, all of that, mm -hmm. but it'll also be half the output. So it'll be um, exactly the same run times. That's the idea. Um, mm -hmm. But it's going to give you more punch down the trail uh, than the hangover will. So, so, but for right now, the hangover, how long does it last on adaptive mode? Uh, 1.8 hours. So okay. just shy of two hours. Uh-huh. But the idea I would assume then is if you're using the, the hangover, there's going to be points in your ride where you're turning it off, where the Evo would still be on, maybe on low or something like that, like you're climbing or something like that. Yeah. And again, this comes back to like everybody's use case is different. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say this is how you control it every ride. But yeah. as an example, when I'm when I'm doing my local Tuesday night rides on the climbs, I'm usually turning my helmet light off and just leaving yeah. it on because I don't necessarily need to see. I don't need to be able to look to see around. I, I'm just looking at yeah. the 10 feet in front of me going slow uphill. Um, if anything, I might put bar on medium and the helmet on low and and that'll be fine. And then I'll turn both of them on max output for the downhill. And yeah. you can kind of balance things out that way. You know, yeah, I've even had like road ride, like road climbs where you're like, it's a full moon or something. And I just turned both my lights off, my eyes adjust. And you're just riding on the road. You're like, yeah, I can see good enough. You know, like just try to save your battery. Cause oh, those are the best yeah. type of rides too. When you're out there and it's just enough light to be able to see what's going on. Yeah. And you're not in a super dangerous, like, you know, covered in the canopy. Like you can yeah. actually see that's why the desert rides are awesome. When you get a yeah. full man i uh i'm, I'm gonna go off topic i was in pennsylvania a few few weeks back and i did that like classic I, I think i can climb and get back down the hill before it goes gets dark yep and and not only did i decide to do this but i also decided to do it in an area that i don't know the fucking trails <laughs> perfect yeah yeah let me tell you that 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 i was I, I learned a new trick it's called break with your right hand and hold your iphone with your flashlight on in the left hand and that only works so far <laughs> oh man it's, especially when the woods are like super dense like they are back there oh yeah. my god there's like no light in that like you you turn your light off and even letting your eyes adjust you're you're like i can barely see yep. where the trail is yeah, like i can't see my all. hand in front of my face much less yeah the trail. yeah i was definitely in one of those spots where i was like okay well i know there's a road out to my right somewhere and i just need to like turn and go that direction if i get to the point where like my 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 phone was dying too i was at like five percent on my phone so i was like <laughs> i'm so screwed right now can and, I uh, get to see where I'm going or do I need to be able to call for help in five minutes? Right. Well, that was the other, the other kicker, no signal. <laughs> Dude, it could not have gotten any, any worse. So I'm trying to find this little trail that's like on, on trail forks. There's this little, uh, it, it was showing up as a red trail. So that's double black, right? Or double. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, look, I know at this point, there's no way I'm going to be riding that trail but I at least can take this, like if I have to slide down something on my rear end or whatever, I can take this to get over to the, to the road. Right. So at one point I, I find this spot that's like, here's the right hand turn. It must be that trail. And mm -hmm. I go to, to like go out there and check it out. And instead of being the trail, it's like a viewpoint 
with like a, a cliff. <laughs> so now I'm thinking like, oh God, I'm so glad I just didn't like go for it. And like, oh, just step over here. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh God, it was, it was like the perfect like chain of events that, that just like all fell down on me at the same time. Well, and those, it's those types of rides that start getting you thinking, do I need to bring a shock pump with me? An extra right. light? And maybe a spare crank? Like, you know, yeah. maybe some pivot bolts? I don't know. Yeah, that would, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I I almost impaled myself in my handlebars on that ride. There were so many things that went wrong in that ride. But the one thing, the biggest takeaway that I got from that ride was I'm going home and I'm getting that freaking Garmin mini inReach thing. Because this is just stupid. Like, like, fortunately, whenever I I had the accident that I had, I was okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay enough to to keep riding and apparently do another climb. But <laughs> but uh, uh, it it could have been one of those situations. I didn't even think about signal. You know, I was using my GPS to get to where I was going. I was using trail forks, and um, so in my mind, like my phone was working, and it yeah. wasn't until right before I did that last climb where I was going to beat the sun, I pulled my phone out to see what sunset was. And that's when I realized I was like, dude, I have no signal here. Like, and then it was kind of like, Oh shit, man. Like if that accident would have been worse, like I would have actually been laying there with like a handlebar through my stomach. Like what would I have done? You know, like probably died. Yeah. Yeah. Just laid there and hope that some dude freaking rides his bike by the next day. And I'm still alive. You, You know what I mean? Like, Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely one of those things where I'm like, all right, it's time for the Garmin to to be purchased. So, anyways, oh, man. well, I I, I do want to bring up one thing that I saw in the comments was, is that a Rivian you got in the background there? It it is. This is how do you like it? Um, it's fucking amazing. Um, how long have you had it? Uh, I've had it here for about a month now. Um, uh-huh. we had it at our HQ in Chicago for a month and then I flew out and then drove it back. Um, so I got to drive from Chicago to Olympia in an electric vehicle, which was quite an experience. Uh, yeah. Wyoming does not have a uh, charging infrastructure. Uh, <laughs> I say a like zero, like there are literally three chargers in the entire state that'll, that'll charge it. And I couldn't, I had to go down through Denver, like across Colorado and then back up. It was, Oh, wow. It was great. Um, it was great. <laughs> but yeah, this, this will be our, this will be my new, um, demo vehicle. So I'm going to uh-huh. take a bunch of lights in the gear tunnel on a slide out tray with charging and all the accessories and things and start showing up at stuff in the PNW up here and, um, get people to test some lights out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Really like it though. Every all the trim and stuff like that inside, you like it seems like it's all like everything's dialed. And... I'm I'm really you know for a, a first offering, uh-huh. not, not even that. Like for any company, it's really well put together, very high quality. Um, mm-hmm. Very all all of my complaints are little nitpicky things. All uh-huh. the major stuff they've freaking nailed, and it's even more impressive being like the first offering from a company. Um, yeah. I, I think they'll be just fine. It's I really want to get an electric vehicle, but I I don't want to give up my pickup truck, you know? So there's only a couple of offerings. I mean, I guess Chevy just released theirs now and 
Ford has their lightning out and then there's this one and Tesla's thing looks like freaking, I don't know what. And, you know, so it's definitely nice to have some, some different options out there. And this one's kind of like that midsize truck, you know, almost like a Tacoma. Yeah. It's um, so I had a, a Honda Ridgeline before this and mm -hmm. I got that um, specifically to be a shuttle vehicle. I mean, it was my daily driver, but like I also got it because I was going to use it as a shuttle vehicle a lot. Right. And it has like, SUV suspension, you know, it's uh, right. four suspension all the way around. It's unibody, so it's you know, it's it's not a, a body on frame, so it's really stiff. Mm -hmm. It rides great. This truck mm -hmm. is almost identical dimensions to the Ridgeline, um, mm -hmm. so it's not a huge bed, but it's big enough that I can fit bikes in and still have five inches or so behind the rear tire. You know, I'm a tall mm -hmm. guy, I got long bikes, and I still can fit long bikes in there. Um, so I can use a tailgate pad, um, and it's, it's comfortable. It's not hard to drive around parking lots because it's yeah. massive with a huge hood. You can't see over. So it's, it's a good midsize offering. It just, you know, thankfully we got in really, really early with the reservation. So before they jacked the price by 20 grand or whatever. Oh, wow. It went up that much. Yeah. It was like, I think it was 18. Don't quote me on that, but yeah. Yeah. Either way a lot though. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They like somebody high up at like CFO or something of the company had a public quote saying, yeah, we never, I fought them on this because we never should have released it at the price. It was, it was way too cheap. And then, uh, oh, uh Rivian fought back and they're like, well, yeah, actually she's right. We, we can't afford yeah. to do it at this price. Um, so we, we so have the ground clearance. Ground clearance is good. Yeah, so so my ridge line is like eight and a half inches. Mm -hmm. um, this in the lowest setting is nine and a half, but mm -hmm. it goes up to fifteen and a half. Uh, oh, you can like like on the fly. It's got adaptive air suspension, so it's got a compressor on board and everything. And so for like the, it's got a like off road rock crawling mode where it puts it at fifteen and a half to give you best um, uh, like departure angles and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, and then the the sport mode is super low and you can stiffen up the dampers and um you just hit a button and then it changes yep you just select the mode wow. so yeah technology is nice sometimes when it works yeah it's, it's pretty yeah, great there the only the only thing that like makes me consider the um the tesla one even though i'm not crazy about the way it looks is just <laughs> The uh, their charging infrastructure is just amazing. Like they have chargers like everywhere. Yeah, and that comes down to you know kind of like the bike lights. Honestly, like use case. If you're yeah. if you're driving a lot um, outside of your state or to events or whatever, then yeah, that's a totally legitimate um, yeah. advantage. And thankfully, I think that there's enough pressure now that. Tesla is going to start making their charging network available to others, not at max speed, but like something yeah. reasonable. Uh, yeah, I heard something. My one buddy it's, or a couple of my friends are really into the Teslas and um, they were mentioning that, that there's some kind of deal going like I think they're getting some kind of federal like money for some other stuff so that they can build more chargers, but in turn, then let other people use theirs or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that sounds right. Um, I also think that Elon is a cuckoo town banana pants person. So I, I who knows what the hell he's going to do. And it, that'll happen until the last second and then it won't. And it'll be because of Twitter somehow. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It'll be something like that. Right. Yeah. And the, the 
Ford Lightning looks like an awesome option. It's just big. It's just a yeah. you know, full-size truck. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that both Ford and Chevy, like GM, they'll roll that into like the Ranger-sized trucks. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, those will be you know, I, I like the Lightning. I really do. The only thing that I was like kind of bummed about was that the they did the rear suspension in a way that like you can't put a lift on it. Mm. So you can, you could put a leveling kit on it and put a little bit bigger tires on it, but you can't lift it at least not yet. I mean, yeah. my understanding though is like the, the video that I watched about it. Like the guy was like, I don't know how they would do this. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's kind of a, a drag. I mean, but I think at the end of the day, like to have a full size truck, that's the same as mine. Like I, because I have an F one hundred and fifty right now, it, it's like, man, that's that's really tempting, you know. Yeah, and and I I charge at home, and I you know I've got the level two charger. It's just the standard two hundred and forty outlet that I already had in here because I had wiring up for like a welder in the shop mm -hmm. here, um, and it you know gives you like twenty miles of range or so per hour. It's not super fast, but whatever. It's charging overnight, and then every yeah. day the truck's topped off. And yeah, so I never need to never need to mess with it. And the only time I needed to use public chargers was getting it from Chicago back here. And then yeah. we drove up to girlfriend and I drove up to Whistler um, a few weeks ago, just before closing weekend and had to charge once in Bellingham on the way up. But yeah, that was pretty much yeah, it. The, the main reason for me and the chargers that I'm like my concerns is we ride up in the mountains a lot. And so it'll seem like to get up there, you end up like burning almost most of your battery or to the point where you're like, you won't have enough to get home, you know? So you have to like charge somewhere up there to maybe overcharge to get till you get to where you're going and then be able to make it back or something. So this is the nice thing about EVs too, is that what goes up must come down and regenerative braking. Like yeah. you're, gonna, you're not using any fuel at all on the way down. You're yeah. essentially gaining range from the top of the hill down. And yeah, um, there was a couple of times where it was like, it'll plot out. All right, you need to stop. You're, you're trying to get here 10 hours away. You need to stop here for 20 minutes to charge here for 30 minutes, whatever. Yeah. And you'll have this much range when you get there. You'll say you've got like 40 miles of range left when you arrive at this charger. Yeah. There's a couple of times where I was already below 40 miles and I was not close to the thing. And yeah. It was because I was at the top of this mountain range. I burned all this power to get there. And by the time I got there, I had more range than they expected. And it's, yeah. it was a little, it was concerning because I was seeing that low number. It's like, I'm too yeah. far away. But, you know, they think about that stuff, I guess. I would imagine with your truck, it's probably a little better though, too, because my buddy that has, he has the, whatever the Tesla car one is, the it's like the bigger one, not the three, the Y, I think. Yeah. And once you put the bikes on the back, it, it doesn't um, it doesn't predict its mileage as well. But I would assume, though, with the Rivian, because of the way that the bikes are on the tailgate, then it's probably not really like making more drag where it throws it off. Yeah, it's, it's not as big of a difference, right? It's not a sail yeah. hanging off the back of the, the car. Yeah. So, yeah, having them in the like I had a, a rack on there briefly. Um but the uh, yeah, the tailgate pad works great. And I, I haven't towed anything with it yet. Um, uh -huh. Obviously, towing is going to kill range. 
So yeah. I don't know if that's the best application for these just yet, but yeah, for everything I'm yeah. gonna be, it's gonna be great. Yeah, I, I did see them do uh, some video on YouTube where they were like towing some trailer and they put, did it up against like the Raptor and like a yes. like, or something like that. And they just smoked the shit out of them. <laughs> oh man, that's a, a Haggerty video um, with Jason Camisa where it's the, yeah, the Rivian versus the Dodge TRX, which is like a 750 horsepower truck. Yeah. Whatever. And it just smokes and the Raptor. Oh, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but yeah, that's a great video. Oh, I don't care. I'm going to ruin it. Then they put the fucking Dodge on the trailer and smoked them like, or no, they put the Ford on the trailer because the, the Dodge was the one that was still hanging. And yeah. then they, pulling the Ford, still smoked the Dodge. Oh my God, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, electric vehicles are stupid. Like it's, there's there's a launch mode in this where you basically you just put your foot on the brake, put your foot on the gas, and you let off the brake. And it just launches. and it does something physical to your body that it's, yeah. it's hard to put into words um, unless you drive race cars. Like it's it because it just keeps pulling and keeps pulling and like, Oh, I'm at a hundred and it's yeah. still pulling. It's like, yeah, it makes they're, you all they're, shaky. They're, they're stupid fast, man. I mean, my buddy has the, he doesn't even have the performance one and that thing will throw your head back. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like, it's not like it, it moves like a Honda Civic or something like that thing still is like, it's the quote, like air quotes, those you listening slow one. And it's still like, dude, this thing's no joke, man. <laughs> yep. I think that aside from the Nissan Leaf, pretty much every electric vehicle that's been released since then is faster than it, it, the slowest version of those is faster than any vehicle I've ever owned before this point. Yeah. yeah so, and this is this one is not a slow version it is it's plain stupid so i'm i'm yeah, enjoying yeah. it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah my the, the only thing that keeps me like from pulling the trigger tonight is, is my truck's paid for right now so it's like i keep looking at it i'm like well this is going to be a thousand dollar a month payment you know or something like that and am i spending more than that on gas right now no and, and and until that number or uh, until that like time comes or i'm just tired of fixing shit on my truck which is is a possibility <laughs> that uh then then i'm gonna definitely pull the trigger i'm like in my mind i'm just trying to like maybe maybe hold on to my my current truck long enough for like rev twos of things to start coming out you know right. and then be like okay now i'm stoked you know or Whatever. I think you're in a good spot too, because with like um, interest rates going up right now and yeah. like, car prices crashing, it's, it might be a good time to get a new vehicle with the, with the prices crashing as the supply comes back, but interest rates are going through the roof. So yeah, if you can hold on to your car with no debt and no payments and, yeah. and wait for that, that next iteration. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be, there's going to be a ton of options in like three years. Holy crap. Yeah pretty much every manufacturer has said oh yeah we're gonna have like 40 new models in the next 10 years like yeah and all the battery tech just keeps changing man that's the that's the big one too so it'll be like you know i'm sure the range is just going to keep going up and up and up so that'll be rad so who knows well, and if there's any nerds listening uh lucid um that makes the lucid air um ev mm -hmm. they have some tech talks on youtube also and they're they have one on battery technology where they basically go into all their technology in the battery pack that 
gives them the advantages for for heating for cooling for mm -hmm. the range for the um, stability for the structure it's really in depth and it's super cool um because there's there's so much that goes into those vehicles to make them yeah. as simple as they are yeah yeah it's crazy that that is the one thing though it seems like every one of the companies is like we have this battery tech coming out that's gonna be like twice as much range as everybody else and you're like all right which one of you guys is actually like legitimately working on this and the rest of you guys are just saying that shit to get like stock spot or something yeah <laughs> and that's the thing like there's there's definitely innovation and in, in technology that makes a big difference um uh, but a lot of it is is like that right it's it's proprietary right. because they're the only ones using it but not because right. it's actually twice as good it's just right a thing and when i hear like oh we have technology that like uh how about you explain that technology to me rather than give me a, a buzzword name for it which right like, right we, we decided not to so the, the material we're using for the lower shells now we didn't put some fancy like trademarked name on any of that shit because it doesn't matter like it just needs to work and work better right. and it's not a marketing thing it's an engineering thing we did it because functionally we needed this material to do certain things and mm -hmm. i get really i don't know i just get really sour when i hear all these terms getting tossed around saying yep this is the technology that's going to be a game changer and it's all this flowery language and no you know actual scientific explanation for what's happening so yeah, yeah skepticism is good sometimes 100 <laughs> percent. so here we are two hours, man. Where can people get your stuff at? Um, outboundlighting.com. And uh, we are, you know, we support local bike shops too, um, mm -hmm. but we're still small. So not every bike shop has our stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We will be putting a list of dealers on our website. We've probably got 125 shops around the country right now. Mm -hmm. um, and But uh, in the meantime, if you're not sure if your shop carries our stuff, uh, go ask them and then tell them that they ship. And then yeah. to just reach out to us and we'll, we'll yeah. get that set up. hundred percent. So you guys do a bunch of events too. You guys doing a, I know I, I would assume you're going to see Otter again. Yep. I'll see you at Sea Otter. I uh, just, we got one more big event this year, 25 hours of frog hollow down in um, St. George hurricane area in Utah. What um, do they do there? Uh, all night race. Oh, uh, sweet. That sounds yeah, fun. I mean, it's like a 24 hours old Pueblo. We'll also be back there next year as the lighting sponsor. And um, basically any of these 24 hour races, we're doing, uh, you know, uh, neutral race support. So mm -hmm. if you have any lights of any brand, we've got a charger, I've got spare parts, like whatever happens during the race, you come find me and I get you fixed up and send you back out. Um, I don't know. And you guys are doing Sedona too, or? We'll be at Sedona Mountain Bike Fest. Got to figure out a house for that because that's already booking up. Uh, yeah, I just saw that. I was thinking about that too. I need to get my shit together. So, yep. Um, do you guys do any other big festivals other than those two? Or um, Bentonville Bike Fest will be in, mm -hmm. uh, I think, May next year. They're moving the date up earlier, so it's not as swampy. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, that one, I mean, S Sedona will be at forever because it's just unique and awesome um yeah it's a good demo place uh um, yeah and uh vendor area bentonville takes it a totally different approach and it's like non-stop entertainment there's you know flatland bmx shows there's trials mm -hmm. competitions there's enduro races there's there's music there's 
uh, interviews with pro racers. Like there's something every 30 minutes all day for the entire festival. So that's that's a good one to uh, to check out if you want to you know travel somewhere unique. Um, but yeah, I don't have their calendar in front of me, but we'll be at a couple of other big festivals and then mm-hmm. a few random races throughout the year. We'll be at uh, 24 Hours um, of Enchanted Forest um, with Zia Rides out in New Mexico. Um, and do you guys put your, do you have like an event schedule on your website people could check out? And so if they wanted to come see something, touch it, and if they don't sell them, you know, in their local area or something like that? Yeah, we do. Um, we haven't updated it yet for 2023. So I'm, I'm in the process right now of trying to nail down dates for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, like uh, Unbound Travel um, out in Kansas. We'll be at Unbound um, next mm-hmm. year because um, Detour and Hangover will be a good like combination for that. And there's a lot of people that are out there all night long because it's an insane race. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have a page on the website for the, the van adventures where we'll take the sprinter out and um, show up with lights and parts. And- Perfect, man. Well, anybody listening, I'm I, I'm gonna predict it right predict it right now that we do some kind of night ride in Sedona. So I'll definitely be there with you, you and your your crew, and we'll do something. Last time we had a really good ride there, so it was a really good time. Yeah, we and we try to do a, a demo ride for. Uh, we usually do like thirty people or so, and then like seventy five show up. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> figure it out. Uh, we usually do a demo ride Friday nights at Sedona Mountain Bike Festival, and then. Uh-huh. You know, if there's people that want to just take a set out and try them to see them in the wild um, on their own on a Saturday or something, we can arrange that. Just come by. I'll be the one there at the booth. So uh, sweet. We can make it work. Dude, always super fun chatting with you, man. Had a great time. Yeah. I, I truly appreciate the, the time that you took to sit down with us. And honestly, like knowing more and more about your product and how it works it just reinforces what it what i already knew is you guys have a great product and it's um it, it will i'm sure we'll have more conversations in the future about you guys continuing to double your size so <laughs> i i hope so um always happy to talk and you know, whether it's about 3d printing or electric vehicles or anything else so yeah, yeah good hanging man sweet man well i appreciate everybody out there if you're still listening Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Do hit the thumbs up if you're on YouTube. Maybe throw a comment down there. Subscribe if you want to see some more. If you're listening to the podcast, like I said at the beginning, write me a review. It really helps. Let's see if we can get to that number five spot. And if you want to do none of that and just something on just just one thing I want you to remember is it only takes a bike to be a biker. So get out and be one.